0: This is a Broad Pods production. Loving and fucking. We're Broad Radio, for women, by women. And you're listening to a collection of incredible conversations we've had with some truly extraordinary broads. Are you ready to get down and dirty as we explore the worlds of love and intimacy in all their messy, beautiful, and complex forms? From self-love to sexual exploration and the myriad of relationships that come with fully lived lives, let's unpack, well, everything. So pour yourself a glass of wine, get comfortable, and join us as we talk all things loving and fucking.
1: Hello welcome to this episode. Today we're changing the world one porno at a time with trailblazer and disruptor Cindy Gallup, founder of the world's first user-generated social sex platform. It's called Make Love Not Porn. Check it out if it's for you. Cindy has made a name for herself as a bold and unapologetic advocate for diversity, equality and sexual expression. She's praised for her work promoting a more real And healthy portrayal of sex in the media and on the web. Are you curious? I know I am. I'm Jo Stanley, and my co host here is Nellie Thomas. Her name is Cindy Gallup, and we're just going to play a little bit of her TED talk here.
0: Predominantly men in their 20s, and when I date younger men, I have sex with younger men, and when I have sex with younger men, I encounter very directly and personally, the real ramifications of the creeping ubiquity of hardcore pornography in our culture. So, in an era where hardcore porn is more freely and widely available on the internet than ever before, and where kids are therefore able to access it at a younger and younger age than ever before, there is an entire generation growing up that believes that what you see in hardcore pornography is the way that you have sex.
1: That's the incredible Cindy Gallop, who wow. out of this experience and this uh, incredible, I suppose, a moment of realization around how wow. people are being basically, their whole concept of sex was jaded wow. by pornography. Brainwashed. Brainwashed, yeah. exactly. She has established MakeLoveNotPorn.tv. Mm-hmm. As I said, 500,000 members. That particular TED Talks has had over 2 million views, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. So we got to sit down with Cindy, and we're just going to go longer today. We're going to leave yeah. you with this incredible conversation with Cindy Gallup. Um, she is an agitator, a business leader. She's a true, fearless woman. So here she is, Cindy Gallup. Cindy Gallup, it is so awesome to speak with you on Broad Radio. I'm delighted to be here. There is so much that we want to speak with you about. So we thought we might start with Make Love Not Porn. Um, It's been around for 12 years now.
0: What was your original vision for it and have you achieved that? Sure. So, um, I mean, Make Love Not Porn started as an accident, Um, a clunky little porn world versus real world website born out of my dating younger men and discovering that when we don't talk about sex in the real world, porn becomes sex education by default. And it was only when I launched that at TED in 2009, the entire world responded, and I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. And I turned it into Make Love Not porn.tv, the world's first and only user generated, human curated social sex video sharing platform. We are that very badly needed counterpoint and complement to porn. If porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, we are the real world documentary. And, and by the way, people like watching movies, people like watching documentaries. Our tagline is pro sex, pro porn, pro knowing the difference. Mm-hmm. We are that window onto the funny, messy, fabulous sex we all have in the real world that is so badly needed. And, you know, the interesting um, answer to your question is I was the very first person 12 years ago. To stand up on a stage and publicly identify this issue, born out of my direct personal experience dating younger men. Today, twelve years after that TED Talk, everybody knows what I'm talking about. And so, you know, what I designed Make Love Not Porn to do, it is absolutely achieving and it is needed more now than ever before, because Fundamentally, our mission at Make Love Not Porn is to end rape culture. And we are doing that by doing something very simple that, nevertheless, nobody else is doing. What we do is we show you how wonderful great consensual communicative sex is in the real world. Our wonderful Make Love Not Porn stars in our videos role model good sexual values and good sexual behavior and we make all of that aspirational versus what you see in porn and other areas of popular culture so yes we are absolutely doing what i designed to make love not porn to do and what we do is more needed now than ever before and by the way especially in australia why do you say especially in Australia? Because um, to, um, to, actually it's also true of um, the UK as well, but um, various events around the world uh, and by the way, we're a global platform, and you know to, um, make love not porn has trafficking members from 187 countries. but um, you know, um, various events have triggered um, a wave of determination amongst women to address rape culture so in australia chanel contos is doing a wonderful job of surfacing how pervasive that is in schools Um, and by the way you know um, we're we're in contact and we are going to be organizing to speak to each other very soon which is wonderful Um, in the same way by the way that you know appalling incidents in the uk have actually driven a real wave there now um people are more determined than ever before to do something about rape culture. And so that is why we are especially relevant right now.
2: So, Cindy, I have, a, I have two daughters, one of them's 14. And one of the interesting things in uh, reading a lot of your work and watching your work is that really resonated with me is that it seems to me she's at risk, if we want to put it that way, uh, not just from, from porn in the sense that we understand porn, but also, as you just indicated in your previous answer, from the wider culture whether that's advertising, Mm. um, how sex is portrayed in Hollywood, which area do you think is the greatest risk? Because I think as parents, we automatically assume, it's porn, it's porn, that's the thing that's going to be dangerous. Do you think that's true or is it the wider culture that's more dangerous?
0: You know, that's a great question. And the really depressing answer is, um, it is literally everything surrounding us you know, because it is um, what we see in movies, in TV, you know, streaming on Netflix. And what it all stems from is the fact that every single industry in popular culture is male dominated and male led. And so what we see predominantly is through um, the male lens. And, you know, unfortunately, because it has become so much the norm, many women have internalised that as the way to look at the world and the way to create, um, you know, um, uh, output in 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 popular culture. So, you know, I I have been trying for years to address this in my own industry, advertising, because women are the primary target. Um, for advertising. We are the primary purchasers of everything and the primary influences of purchase. But the advertising industry is male dominated. We are sold to ourselves all the time through the male gaze. And so we really have to address this in every single industry. And the good news is that in every single industry are women and right-minded men, and by the way, you know, non-binary trans individuals, who are determined to change all of this. And every single one of us, every single day, taking action to do that can absolutely make this change. But, but but it really is, unfortunately, that embedded in the fabric of our society. And it requires all of us to change it in every possible way.
1: And Cindy, that's very much one of the reasons why we're creating Broad Radio, because the media and particularly radio is very much through a male lens. And I see the impact on that, on the way women see themselves and, and the narrative Ooh. that we are taught around us it's skewed by a male voice very much so Mm. Um, but what do we need to then learn and tell our children about um, I I suppose really engaging with who they are and embracing who they are and loving who they are away from that lens? Mm.
0: Um, do you know what i would say to all parents and by the way to, to everybody and, and everybody incidentally who has any influence of children as you know i'm childless but i absolutely give my nieces and nephews the benefit of my advice trust me <laughs> but you know I, I i have to tell you one fabulous example um, of what i mean which is a friend of mine caroline Detman, over here in the us a wonderful woman who started. An agency called have her back, which is all about addressing everything we're talking about. And she tells this anecdote of how decades ago um, her mother took her as, as a kid to see the movie Greece. You know, and obviously, by the way, I mean, I love the movie Greece. I could watch it endlessly. You know, we all love it. The songs are fantastic. John Travolta, Living Newton John, they're wonderful. But I love the fact that Caroline says that you know, there she was sitting enjoying the movie. And when they left the movie theater, her mother said to her very, very emphatically, Caroline's never forgotten it. She said, Caroline, never ever change for a man. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, obviously she's referring to the last scene in Greece where, as we know, Olivia newton <laughs> comes out and, you know, and, 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 you know, Caroline's sort of sitting there as a kid going, whoopee, this is wonderful, and her mother's going, never ever make yourself over just to please a man. And I bloody love that her mother said that. I mean, that, that is literally, you know, sad but true, these are the mini interventions that we all need to have mm-hmm. every single day, and when we can. I mean, I have absolutely, you know, w- with my nieces, uh, and obviously, incidentally, you know, one has to be very careful um, what one says to one's nieces and nephews when, you know, your sisters, you know, um, you know, are you know, looking out <laughs> or whatever might be said. But, 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 I've absolutely said to each one of my nieces, you know, never do anything just for a man, and and i've said that especially on the career path do not follow a man somewhere you know and and obviously from the height of my great age i'm 61 you know i know perfectly well that who you're madly besottedly in love with in your 20s you will look back one day and go what the hell was i thinking but but you know i um, you know i talk to so many people and um, i do personal coaching and i Always ask people to tell me their backstory first. You know, to talk me through, and literally from the beginning, born, raised, because that tells me a lot about who they are. What, how they tell their story tells a lot about. And you know, the the number of people, and and by the way, this also applies to men, not just women, but the vast number of people whose career path involves, you know, um, I followed a man to this country. To this city, to this other state in the U.S., you know, I, you know, I moved to such and such because, you know, in the case of men, it's, you know, I followed a girl, you know, I followed a woman, and and by the way, you know, sometimes that works out for the best, but but quite a lot of times it doesn't, <laughs> and so, you, you know, to, um, I just think that, you know, even even if people don't seem like they're receiving this kind of advice well. The onus is still absolutely on us to to you know give this advice make these points intervene where we can bring a different lens to bear you know encourage you know girls and boys to look at things differently um, with anybody where we have any influence whatsoever. so yep daily mini interventions. That's really interesting, Cindy, because I'm
2: sure you're familiar with the concept of microaggressions, which a lot of people from minority groups, you know, talk about having those sort of mm. daily grinding down. To me, that is the opposite. That is the what I try and do with the kids and in my work, and I know Joe does as well, wherever you can, those teachable moments, which sounds very lofty and wanky, but wherever you can intervene. You're watching Greece. Let's talk about Rizzo. let's talk about why she's being slut shamed let's talk about you know how she's being represented and then as you say at the end let's talk about why did sandy have to change why did danny not have to change and you can do that rather than sitting down and having the talk you can do that
0: every day in different situations absolutely you know i am um a huge believer in micro actions, and that's because you know, to your point, change happens from the bottom up, not the top down. Every single one of us, every single day, taking micro actions, and the point about that is, th- these are so small and simple and easy to do. Cumulatively, they add up at scale to enormous impact. And you're absolutely right. The opposite of microaggressions is microinterventions. You know, when you see something happening you know, something inappropriate, something racist, absolutely intervene and, and, you know, absolutely bring a different lens to bear that will make everybody think differently about what they do going forwards.
1: I have to say though, my daughter is uh, 12 and she rolled her eyes at me the other day and said, "Mom, not everything is a teaching moment. so sometimes you know they call you on it because they just want to live as well which is fair I'm reminded of that old adage, Cindy, that you um, show not say in a lot of ways. And that's very much what you're doing with Make Love Not Porn. I do watch it. I love it. Um, And it's demonstrating to all of us a different way of being with a partner, um, which is really glorious and beautiful and real, as you say. But I I know that one of your goals, and I'm going to quote you here, which, um, you know, sometimes you can fall short when you quote someone and they say, I didn't actually say that, but it's from your Twitter so I know you did, <laughs> <laughs> um, you said uh, your vision is for everyone in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex and I think that's amazing but I also think that we are often, most of us are raised to kind of be embarrassed or deeply ashamed of ourselves as sexual beings and I wonder how can we reach acceptance of ourselves
0: mm. as sexual beings? Sure and and so this is absolutely um, what Make Love Not Porn is all about because we are, we are socializing and normalizing sex. We're bringing it out into the sunlight. And, and, and to your point, you're absolutely right. I designed Make Love Not Porn around my own beliefs and philosophies, one of which is absolutely communication through demonstration. You know, don't, don't say it, be it. And so I think, you know, the really interesting and powerful thing about Make Love Not Porn that absolutely Um, means we have the ability to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better, is that all around us um, in popular culture, we see narratives and creative expressions of relationships, but we never see the actual sex. On Make Love Not Porn, you get to see the actual sex, but you also get to see the relationships, because those two things are indivisible in our social sex videos. And when I say you get to see the relationships, I don't just mean you get to see healthy relationship dynamics modeled by couples, threesomes, you know, we are we are fully inclusive with all of that. You also get to see the healthy relationships our solo make love not porn stars have with themselves. Because we have many solo videos you know, um, men, women, non-binary, trans individuals who have shared these very intimate videos of of how they masturbate, how they love themselves um, on our platform. And those absolutely demonstrate what a healthy relationship with your own sexuality, your own body looks like. And our members, Find these transformative. I mean, they find all of our videos transformative, but you know, they they absolutely say in the comments and when they write to us how our videos make them feel better about their own bodies, make them feel able to have a greater sense of sexual agency. You know, make them lose um, guilt and shame and embarrassment. And and by the way, in in really powerful ways as well. I mean, I'm blown away by what how well Make Love Not Porn does what well I designed it to do. I'm also blown away by how well it d- does things I never designed it to do. So we hear from survivors of rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse. We hear from women and, and men in this context who tell us that Make Love Not Porn help them reclaim their bodies, help them feel able to be sexual beings again in a healthy way. And so, you know, it, it, it is extraordinary how powerful the impact of drawing back the veil on what we're all really doing in bed in the real world Mm -hmm. and showing you people who are entirely comfortable with their sexuality who are having a wonderful time of all ages by the way again a very powerful part of what we do is that older people love the fact that we celebrate make older love not porn and and you know um, people just respond to that astonishingly well and and You know, that that, that is absolutely how you embrace your sexuality and revel in it and find it, therefore, enormously empowering. You know, I often say that um, if I can get Make Love Not Porn funded to scale the way I want to, not only will we end rape culture, you will see productivity shoot up in offices all around the world, (laughs) because that's how powerful, comfortable, relaxed sexual energy as a natural part of us is.
2: Well, people respond to truth, don't they, Cindy? You know, they respond to truth and that's what you're doing. And and taking that uh, and running with it, let me tell you a truth of mine, which is a bit raw, but I am recently out of a 21-year relationship, so I haven't dated since the late 90s. So, I'm not ready for dating yet, I must say. But at some point, I will be. And I have to take this opportunity to say to you or ask you, what the hell do I expect? Because <laughs> like, I think things have
0: changed. So, do you know? Um, I, um, I actually, so, so I'm very open about the fact that I date younger men casually and recreationally. You know, I'd um, you know I've never wanted married. I've never wanted children. I adore being single. I cannot wait to die alone. And you know, I date younger men for sex. But interestingly, people looking for their soulmate should consider applying the same principles I do to dating casually, because you know. Um, I meet the younger men I date on cougar dating sites. I applaud the rise of the niche dating site, where everyone knows exactly why they're there. Um, But no matter how casual the relationship, I have one fundamental criteria. They have to be a very nice person. I have fantastic radar for very nice people. As a result, I only date utterly lovely younger men. Um, But um, I'm highlighting that to you because when people date looking for a relationship, a soulmate must be a very nice person is not normally number one on their checklist. You know, mm. there's, you know, got to have a job, got to have ambition, got to have drive, you know. And I highly recommend making your absolute number one criteria be are they a very nice person? Okay. Oh, no. I, so think, I, then-
2: can, I, I think that's very good advice. And can I just add, I'm not looking to ever live with anyone again. Let's just put that in there.
0: (laughs) Yes. Oh my God, the joy, the joy of living on one's own. (laughs) Absolutely. But but, um, uh, um, here's another um, principle of how I approach dating that that may entertain um, your audience. So, when people, you know, online date or whatever, you know, they set up that crucial first date IRL, what people will say to their friends is, oh, well, you know, the only thing that matters is that you know he's attractive to me, she's attractive to me. That's all I'm looking for. Not true. Because when you walk into that bar or that coffee shop wherever, where you're meeting that person for the first time, the thought that all too often goes through people's minds is, what would my friends think if I walked into a party with this on my arm? They are looking for socially endorsed attractiveness. In my case, I'm not, you know, because if I like them, I'm taking them home and shagging them. So, you know, I'm not <laughs> worrying about what anybody will think of any of my younger men. And, and by the way, the younger men I date absolutely do meet my friends in due course, and and have done. And you know, but but my first criteria really is, are they attractive to me? And I don't give a damn what anybody else thinks. And um, and you know, I would strongly recommend to people, you know, actually when you meet somebody really take out of your head that thing it's very easy to do which is what would other people think of this person because i think that gets in the way quite often when you are looking for a soulmate you're looking to tick boxes for things that at the end of the day aren't really what matter to you
2: oh cindy i'm too old for that shit anyway you know excellent them or, or you know, that's all that matters. And it reminds me of, um, when you say, look for someone nice, it reminds me of wonderful Dan Savage. You know, his advice, don't fuck Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good criteria. Yeah. That is a good one. Like, you've, you've got to like the politics to some degree of the person mm. that you are and politics in the broadest sense.
0: Yep. Mm, mm. mm. no, no, absolutely. And, and by the way, the entertaining thing about my selection criteria is that Ironically, my so-called casual relationships go on a lot longer than most people's so-called committed ones. Mm-hmm. Because I date younger men off and on for periods of 2, three, four, five, 10, 15 years. Um, they may go on to date girls their own age. They may go on to marry women their own age. Uh, we stay friends because we like each other. We'll meet platonically for coffee or drinks. And then every so often those relationships end, those marriages end, and they return. It's very nice. Mm.
1: I think I think though what you have Cindy which a lot of people don't have is actually knowing what it is you want you've spent some time really honing that and understanding that about yourself which is I think one of the greatest skills we could instill in each of us and particularly our children as they grow is actually think about and listen to your heart and what do you
0: want Mm -hmm. no you are absolutely right and this is another place where you need to strip out societal expectations because there are many people living lives they don't really want to live because of fear of what other people will think. Uh, uh, I really wish everybody would just look into their hearts and really think about exactly what would make them happy. Because if they did that, you know, many more people would not rush into getting married because it's the thing you do. Many people would not have children, you know, who should not really have had children, um, if they actually stopped to think about that versus the, you know, parental pressure, all of their friends are doing it. Fear of what other people will think is the single most paralyzing dynamic in business and in life. You will never own the future if you care what other people think
1: oh my god i'm getting a tattoo no, <laughs> it's it's so, you will so never strange. own the future if you feel what um, other people will think oh my gosh cindy uh, we could talk to you for hours but we both wanted Nellie and i to raise this amazing article that you recently wrote in the harvard harvard business review about the seven worst pieces of advice that we give women um in their careers um there were lots of really beautiful things but you know talking about mentors not being useful and my favorite was don't tell a woman to be more confident. What a useless thing to say (laughs) to someone. Um, Can you share a little bit about what what would you like women to know, what sorts of advice is going to help them in Mm. their career?
0: Sure. And and do you know, um, I was thrilled to write this article. It's actually the the, the second article I've written for Harvard Business Review with my friend Thomas Hamoro-Premuzic, because honestly, um, you know, Before anything else, this is what I really want every woman to have in her mind every day as she goes to work. Tomás wrote the single most read Harvard Business Review article of all time. He wrote it back in 2013. It's called, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? (laughs) And and in this article, Tomás' premise is you know, we we talk quite rightly about the many barriers that face brilliant women in their careers, but a far bigger problem is the lack of obstacles for incompetent men. And because that article was so popular, Thomas has turned that into a book, which I highly recommend. The book is also called, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders and How to Change That? And I blurb the book for Tomás. You will see that I say on the jacket, this is the single most important business leadership book of our time, because it is. Because it's just really important, first and foremost, that every woman who is absolutely ambitious as hell, wants to make up the career ladder, absolutely wants the money and the power and leadership and positions as we do, it's really important for her to know that the reason all of that is dominated by men is because of the lack of barriers in a patriarchal society, in a patriarchal business world for incompetent men. And that first and foremost is what I want every woman um, to, to think of. And, and then, um, I would just say the first piece of advice in that Harvard business Review article, I do feel um, especially strongly about, which is, you know, to, I've been saying to women for years Strike the word mentor from your vocabulary and replace it with champion. Because women are told all the time you've got to find mentors. And within the term mentor is this sense of you know a mentor is touchy-feely, chat chat chat, shoulders to cry on. And I go, we don't need mentors, we need champions because champions are people who make shit happen for us. know we need what men get all the time which is other men prepared to go out on a limb for them to stake their reputation on them a champion is somebody who behind closed boardroom doors slams their fist on the boardroom table and says if there's only room for one pay raise in my department it's going to jane not john and um, uh, and i feel especially strong about this because you know i'm regularly asked Cindy, you know you've had this great career in advertising. You know, um, how did you achieve everything you achieved? And I go, I was incredibly lucky, and I was incredibly lucky for two reasons. The first is that I was never sexually harassed in a way that destroyed my career prospects. And by the way, I was totally sexually harassed, but unlike all too many women, it never happened in a way that derailed my career. And the second thing is that I entered advertising in London in 1985. I can literally count on the fingers of one hand how many female bosses I had in my career, two, because advertising is massively male dominated. But I was lucky enough to work, you know, for Dave Trott at Girl Greenies Trott, for Bartle Bogle and Hegarty at BBH. I was lucky enough to work for men who saw my potential before I did who believed in me, championed me, and wanted to see me succeed, and and that is what got me all the places I got to go, you know, and so women find champions, men bloody be champions, and I say that because unfortunately there aren't enough women in the upper echelons of companies to be champions as well, and then and, and then you know the, the, the last thing I'd say about about the article that you absolutely highlighted was, I get really fed up with. Women being told to be more of something when actually we should be telling men to do a damn sight less of something. Mm -hmm. You know, we are told all the time to change our vocabulary. Oh, you know, ladies, stop saying sorry so much, eradicate the word. You know, honestly, the world will be a far better place. If we stopped telling women to say sorry less and told men to say sorry a damn sight more, <laughs> every single man every day saying sorry, repeatedly, endlessly, would result in a far better business um, a, a world and a far better world generally. So honestly, women, stop and think. When you're given bad career advice, you know, go, should I be doing less of this or should men be doing a whole lot more of it? Imagine if we taught more men just
2: say, <laughs> is that all right with you? Is that okay with you? Which is another thing we get told not to say, yeah.
1: Oh, Cindy, it's just been such a joy to speak with you. You describe yourself as the Michael Bay of business because you blow (laughs) shit up. (laughs) And I just am grateful that there's someone like you in the world doing exactly that because you're a real trailblazer. You're a role model for me and many, 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 many thousands of women around the world and you're changing people's lives, very much so with uh, MakeLoveNotPorn.TV. Check it out. Cindy, what a delight to speak with you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, you know I would just love to see everybody taking everything we've talked about and going out there with these micro actions with these micro interventions every single day because we absolutely can change all of this.